Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. So good to see you all again. See, but we don't see them. I know, but I feel like they're there, and so it's like I can see them. Okay. I feel your presence with us right now. You're here, but not, yeah, not in a weird way. You're just, you're, we, we're thankful that you're Your listening. presence is felt. Yes, yes. Uh, hey, we're starting a new book today in the book of Nehemiah, which if you remember last time we talked about, or maybe a couple ago, we talked about how Ezra and Nehemiah usually, or typically were one book. One and, book. Uh, even as late as the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you'll still find Ezra and Nehemiah as one book. Mm-hmm. Because it's really a continuation of the story. Uh, Nehemiah, we switched to the concept of building the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls. Um, Speaking of which, there was a a, a video (laughs) that made its way around of this lady who bought three seats on a plane and proceeded to make herself walls of saran wrap around her three seats to give herself her own private first class cabin. It's brilliant. Why has no one thought of this before? Because I, I just found myself thinking the cost of three seats had to equal one first class seat. Mm, was it? Yeah, you know, well, maybe it was, but probably not. Sometimes you can get some really good deals on seats. Yeah, but so, and Saran Wrap then. And was it Spirit Airline? Because if it was Spirit, then there's no first class. I don't know. I watched the video. I didn't see any airline markings on there. I'm still not convinced it was real. It may have just been one of those like hoaxes out there. But Saran Wrap doesn't make good walls. But but Nehemiah, <laughs> Nehemiah, Nehemiah makes uh, makes some good walls. We're not of Saran Wrap. That are not of uh, not of Saran Wrap, not at all. Well, hey, before you jump into that, l- yeah. let's just make a quick uh, time annotation here because we are talking about Nehemiah, different book, originally one scroll, one piece of work. But there is a, a, a significant amount of time difference between the starting of Nehemiah and the ending of Ezra. If you remember Ezra chapter 10, we ended with the intermarriages being dissolved and that took you know several months for them to do that. And in fact, that several month time frame is what lets us know that we're probably in the ballpark of 458, 457 when those marriages are dissolved. Nehemiah picks up, you'll notice at, the, uh, at verse one, uh, now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa. So we're looking at about 445 BC. So over 10 years later, now we have this book. Exactly. And if you recall back from Ezra chapter four, there was that parentheses from verses seven down through verse 23 there, where the, uh, the, the rebuilding of the walls were interrupted by the opposition. And that's kind of where we pick back up with Nehemiah um, is right in that time frame when the, the, the construction has been stopped. Nehemiah is still there in, uh, it says in Susa, which was the citadel or capital city, depending on, on people's uh, translations on that. We know it was the winter palace home of these kings. And so Nehemiah was there because the king happened to be there because it was winter time at this uh, the opening of this section here and the reason Nehemiah was there with the king is because Nehemiah had a unique role with the king he was his cupbearer which meant that Nehemiah got to taste all the king's wine before the king did to make sure that it wasn't poisoned Uh, that may seem like you're drawing the short straw but really it was an honored position it was a, Mm. a position that was reserved for somebody who was trustworthy and this person had access to the king more than really anyone else because he was so close to the king at all times to make sure that the king's food was uh, was not going to be mishandled or poisoned or anything else. And so Nehemiah uh, has a, a just a testimony just by the fact that he has this role, which we read about down there in verse 11. 
It testifies to his character, his trustworthiness, his integrity, um, and also even just the uniqueness. If you think back to Daniel, even in exile, they're not sitting here hating their captives and seething against these people that took them captive. Right. Nehemiah is in a position where he holds the king's hand, life in his hands, right. quite honestly, and, and, uh, and he's doing this and doing this well. But while he's there, his people are in Jerusalem, and he receives this report uh, that the, the walls are broken down and that the rebuilding of the walls has, has ceased and that things are not going well at all. And, uh, and Nehemiah is broken over it. And in, in the rest of chapter one and verses four and following, he, he prays. Uh, he s- first sits down and just weeps um, and begins to mourn and begins to, uh, to fast and to just entreat God. And, and he prays to God and asks that God uh, would be attentive to his prayers. And, and do you remember in, back in, in Second Chronicles, when we were going through Second Chronicles chapter seven, God promised the people, if you humble, humble yourself, yeah. And seek me, I will hear and forgive. And so here you have Nehemiah doing just that, calling on God's faithfulness to his own promises and uh, and calling that God would would provide and allow him to get back and return and, and rebuild the city. Uh, well, in chapter two, he goes to the king and, and it says that his face was was not cheerful. Uh, now, if, if somebody who is your cupbearer and supposed to check to see if the, the wine is poisoned or not is coming to you with a, a glum expression on their face that's not going to instill a lot of confidence in you <laughs> and so the king asks him hey nehemiah why so glum and and uh, nehemiah responds and, and this is bold because this is the king that put an end to the rebuilding of the walls to begin with back in ezra chapter four in that section that we talked about it was Artaxerxes here who was the one that said hey until i investigate this more nobody's doing anything else and so for Nehemiah to go to the king and say, hey, king, my, the city of my people lies in ruins. The, the walls are broken down. This was Nehemiah putting his life on the line over what he perceived to be something very significant, and that is the, the state of Jerusalem at the time. Yeah, and one of the things I love about Nehemiah, and you've already talked about this a few different ways, but you'll find it to be thematic within the entire work, is that he's a man of prayer. Now, we start out meeting Nehemiah through his prayer life, and it's it's a profound uh, testimony to his integrity, to his humility, that this guy continues to pray all throughout his life. And it's not like he's having to steal away time. It's just interjected into the the very fabric of the letter itself. So his heart and concern for his people, his boldness with his boss is really evidence of a piet- pietistic kind of approach. He cares so deeply about God's honor and, and God's people that it's kind of a no-brainer that he does these things. It's a no-brainer that he responds in the ways that he does. In fact, I love on that point, Pastor Rod, in Nehemiah 2.4, he's having a conversation with the king. He's, the king says to him, hey, why, what are you requesting? And then it says this, so I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king. Yeah, that's got to be like three seconds. Right. It's most quick rifle prayer that he throws up to the God of heaven really quick yeah. on the spot and then answers the king. It's not like he said, hey, king, give me. 15 minutes while I go pray and right. then I'll come back. Right. And that's a good reminder to us that when you're going throughout the day, man, that's that's what it means to pray without ceasing. It's to be in this constant awareness and state of dependence upon God to where, yeah, like Pastor Rod said, you're going in for a conversation with your bosses. As you're turning the door handle to walk into his office, you're firing up a quick prayer to God that asks him to, to give you the words to speak in the conversation. Or you're having a difficult conversation with one of your kids and you're praying to God before you go in there. And even during the conversation, God, help me respond appropriately to the questions that are asked or to the hurt or the sorrow or whatever that is. I, I know as pastors, I, I find myself a, a lot of times in the counseling office firing up quick prayers throughout that that time because you you just deal with a lot of grief and a lot of hurt and a lot of mm-hmm. sorrow. And 
And we always tell people in the counseling office, it's not our wisdom that we're offering, but the wisdom of God. And so uh, I, I love to your point there that just Nehemiah has that continual access to, to God on his, his mind there in prayer. Yeah, and I think it really reflects Paul's heart in First Thessalonians chapter five. He says, "Pray without ceasing." This is kind of the idea of what of what Nehemiah is doing before Paul even ever says the words. And if I could point you guys to anything, it would be to the to the fact that when you have a relationship with somebody, you don't you don't need someone to provoke you to turn to them. I just texted my wife a few minutes ago, just saying, "Hey, how you doing? How's it how's it going at home?" Uh, no one needed to remind me. I, I care about my wife. I care about my family. So I naturally gravitated toward talking to her. And the same thing happens when we have a relationship with God. We naturally turn to Him when we have that ongoing relationship with him. So let me encourage you, deepen that relationship and you will, by necessity, deepen your prayer life. Verse eight, we find that that uh, the good hand of God was upon him. Remember, we talked about that being a recurring theme in Ezra and it picks up here again in Nehemiah. And because Nehemiah had humbled himself and sought the Lord, the Lord responded favorably through the, the uh, permission that he's, he's granted by Artaxerxes. And he goes back. But he goes back and he first comes back and begins to inspect the walls. And I love the the wisdom here of Nehemiah. I'm, I can tend to be impulsive from time to time. That's right. Amen. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and yet I, I love what we learn here from Nehemiah. In fact, Pastor Rod, as I was reading this, I was like, man, Nehemiah and Pastor Rod would be two birds of a, a feather. They, I love Nehemiah. They just get would get along really well together. I need a Nehemiah in my life, which is why God provided Pastor Rod for me. In, and in I need this, a uh, sand ballad and Tobiah in my wait, life. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So Nehemiah comes back and rather than immediately rallying the troops to go out and be like, let's go rebuild the walls with no game plan. He goes out and inspects the walls and he, mm. he takes into account, okay, what is he really up against? What's the task that they need to accomplish? What's this going to cost? I'm reminded of when Jesus talks about, uh, you know, counting the cost to follow him. We need to first consider what is it going to cost to follow Jesus before we go and do that? Because you don't want to be like the man who sets out to build the tower only to realize he doesn't have the resources. Left. Right. And quite honestly, or quite literally rather Nehemiah here is, is counting the cost of what is, what is it going to take to rebuild these walls? No doubt he's doing this prayerfully too, given the content of what we know who he is. Mm. He's he's doing this at night. You'll notice that in verse 12, it says, he, I rose at night. So he's doing this at a time when no one else is going to see him. No one can make any guesses about what he's up to. He doesn't tell anybody. He prayerfully plans and thinks about how he can best approach this, which is, man, so applicable to us for everything that we do. I mean, mm. Nehemiah applies what we know in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need God's help even to build walls, which may not sound all that formidable, but in his day, that was a big deal. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Verses 17 and following Nehemiah then goes back and does rally the troops and he identifies with them. He said, you see the trouble we are in. And so he's connecting with the people that he's leading there and, 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 and identifying with their plight as well as it was his own plight too. stresses the seriousness of the situation. As he, he goes on, he says, we're, we're in a, a serious situation. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned. And then he calls for definite action there when he says, come, let us rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And then he testifies there of God's favor when he says, you know, the, the good hand of God has been on me. And let me tell you how. So uh, Nehemiah is just a, a textbook example of good and godly leadership here. But I, I jumped over it. But if you look back up in verse nine or verse 10, rather, you read a couple of names that Pastor Rod <laughs> used uh, pejoratively. Um <laughs> In verse 10, and that's Sanballat, Sanballat rather, and, and Tobiah, and these are bad dudes, and they don't like the fact that the walls are being rebuilt. So they begin to, it says in the, in the text in chapter 2, verse 19, they begin to jeer at them and despise mm. them. And uh, it's only going to ratchet up from there, as we're going to see even t- in tomorrow's reading. But these guys are there to oppose 
what the Israelites are out to do. And that's just a reminder that even when we're walking in obedience to God and when God's good hand of favor is on us, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be opposition to Such us. Such a powerful point. Talk to, talk to us about that more, Pastor PJ. What does that mean practically? It, it, it speaks to the, the, the kind of the, the soft health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that can creep into the church sometimes, which is, man, well, if, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, if I'm sharing the gospel with these neighbors, if I'm, you know, inviting people to this kid's camp, if I went on a church plant, then you know, God owes me and he owes mm. me a, a kind of an easy path on the way forward. And it's just, a, it's, it's not, it's not going to be that way. I mean, you, you look at the person that followed the, the, the will and plan and law of God perfectly above and beyond all else. That's it, Jesus. And you look at the suffering that Jesus underwent and it's a reminder to us, the opposition that Jesus encountered. It's a reminder to us that, that it, we're not promised a life of ease here. In fact, it's, right. it's quite the opposite. Peter mm. said that Jesus suffered, leaving us an example that we might follow in his footsteps. And so it's a, just a reminder to us that as we continue to faithfully pursue obedience to God, which we should, uh, we can't expect that it's it's not going to lead to opposition in this world. And in fact, you might even be comforted by that to some degree. If you're if you're heading upward or upstream against the current, the cultural current, you should expect that things won't always be especially easy. And that's the case is here at, with Nehemiah. Because he has a passion to see God's honor uh, and God's glory be exalted, he's going to dis- discover that in all good endeavors, there will always be opposition. Because there are people, there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that will seek to oppress and repress the people of God. But don't let that discourage you. Stay the course. Chapter three is a, a long list of names and locations. And it just reminds us again of Nehemiah's leadership here, that he was a, a shrewd organiz- organizer, organizer, organ, organ. He was really I. good at putting people <laughs> in strategic locations, and uh, and he was effective in his motivation. I mean, everybody does it. They jump in, they start rebuilding, and uh, and we'll see what happens in tomorrow's reading with some increased opposition uh, to the work that they're doing here. But our New Testament reading uh, for today is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, again, we've talked about this, and you're probably getting sick of hearing the, the concept of prescriptive versus descriptive, but we find it again popping up right here in Acts chapter 2. Uh, it's the day of Pentecost, it says, which was the celebration of the Feast of Weeks, uh, which was a, a mark that uh, on the calendar that, that remembered and, and rejoiced over the wheat harvest, but also the giving of the law. Um, and uh, in the, the giving of the law to Moses there. there. So this was a, a date on the Jewish calendar that was significant. And so here they are, and they're gathered together, and they're in. It says in one place there, in one house, and there's this sound like the rushing wind that that fills the house, and uh, and then these tongues of fire descend, and it, it, they they rest on them, and they begin speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, what do we do with all this wind? What's the wind about? Well, the, the word for spirit in the Greek is pneuma, which can mean wind or breath. Same in the Hebrew is ruach in the Hebrew, which also means wind or breath. And so the, the rushing of the wind associated with the spirit there is indicative of the spirit's presence. And then you get the, the fire, these tongues of fire that descend on, on these that are gathered together there. And if you'll remember the baptism of John, when John said, there's one coming after me who's going to baptize you with fire in the future. And here's a reference here, I think, of the spirit, the baptism of the spirit, rather, that they receive as these tongues of fire come and rest upon them. So how would you, okay, so one phrase that I got stuck on is what is meant by tongues of fire? Mm. Like, does that mean then that these fireballs above their head were in the shape of a tongue? Does that, I mean, what does that mean? Because I, I read that several different times. I think I have an answer now, but it's not a great one. How did you understand that? 
I've always viewed it figuratively, the, the way that, uh, speaking of the baptism, when John says that the, the spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove, that, that the spirit wasn't actually embodying a dove's body as right. it came Look out. like but a dove. Yeah, it had that appearance. That's how it Dove-like struck quality. Okay. And I, th- I think we're, obviously, we're dealing with something supernatural here, trying to explain the supernatural in human language. Sure. And so I, I think as Luke was recording this, maybe told this by, about this by Peter, or by one of the other apostles, this is the best that they could come up with to kind of describe what they were experiencing and seeing at the time. So was it a tongue on top of their head? Was it fire shaped like a tongue? Is that, is that what you understand? I, it's <laughs> I, thinking of a, a campfire. I mean, you, you look at the, the flames that, that leap out. It's not hard to see the connection between something that would have been like a, a flame of fire and, and a tongue. I, what's your thoughts on it? I, I don't know. I mean, that's why I asked you, Pastor PJ. All right. Well, Dr. PJ. Well, okay. Maybe it was that. I just, when I read that, I thought, okay, what does that mean? I was thinking about this podcast thinking, okay, we're going to have to talk about this. What does it mean? And I'm still, I'm not entirely sure. I just know it's an act of God. It's a work of his spirit. It's fire-esque, whatever it is. Right. And it's produced some kind of language. Right. Which is what they mean by tongues, right? Right. Exactly. And and this has led to so much confusion in the church. And we're going to get eventually into Corinthians as we move through this series, if the Lord doesn't come back before then. Um, but, and, and elsewhere in Acts. But here, it's very clear here from the text as we look at the context that these are not ecstatic utterances that are just gibberish that that are is a private prayer language or something like that because it says what happens there is you continue on it says in verse six at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language Mm -hmm. and then we drop down to verse eight how is it that we hear each of us in his own language and then it lists all these different people down in verse 11 we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of god so the miracle that takes place is the the apostles stand up and they begin to preach. And as they begin to preach, everyone's able to hear what they're saying in their own language, even though they were really just speaking a, a singular message at the time. Which is interesting. One thing that you might want to know as you read through this is that there really are two major camps in terms of interpreting what's happening here. The first camp says that the miracle is the speaking of these these languages. The other camp would suggest that the miracle is the hearing of their languages. So one is a speaking miracle. The other one's a hearing miracle. Uh, Pastor PJ and I would land on the speaking miracle part instead of their ears miraculously hearing uh, a different language. I mean, if you read it, you can kind of see why we'd lean that way, but you can also read into it why others would think it's a, it's a hearing gift. But this is important because we would tie it back into Genesis chapter 11, the reversal of the Tower of Babel, mm. where God separated and spread people out through the means of their language. God is now uniting them under a gospel, which is for all people at all places and all times. And it's worth noting the the intentionality here of God and what he's doing here to that point, because the groups that were gathered together, if the apostles had stood up and spoken in Greek or spoken in Aramaic, those were common languages at the time. And the majority of people there probably would have been able to understand what they were saying. Right. So it's not like they needed to do this because otherwise there was a communication barrier. This is a divine intervention here. This is a suspending of, of natural law. This is a miraculous event here where God allows them to communicate in such a way that everybody out there hears them speaking in their own languages. And again, prescriptive versus descriptive. The reason for this is because what God was doing was he was launching something that was brand new. As the church begins to expand, he was using miracles like this and others that we'll see in the book of Acts to validate the message, to say, hey, you know what? These these apostles weren't standing up with the completed scripture going, well, let me tell you what Paul says about this, right. the way that you and I can today. 
Instead, they were saying something that was brand new, and mm. God was uh, was validating the the power and authority and, and veracity of their message through a miracle like this. Pastor PJ, qu- please quickly talk to us who talk to our charismatic brothers and sisters, and even those who are listening to this podcast who would have a different leaning and perspective. Uh, if someone believes that they're speaking in tongues or that their church practices it rightly, uh, how would you encourage us to interact with people like that? I think one of the first things to do anytime I come up with somebody who believes differently than I do is to ask questions before you make assumptions uh, because there's a, a wide range and, and there's a broad range of beliefs on this. And so there, true. there are some that are, we would say are aberrant, which would put them outside of, of the faith. Even I, somebody who comes up and says, you know what? You have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. I would say, man, they're preaching a different gospel right. because they're, they're adding works to that. Right. And those beliefs do exist out there. They're out there. But just because somebody comes and says, well, I believe in the speaking of tongues, that doesn't mean that that's where they're at. And so we need to have the humility to ask good questions, but also the conviction to be able to clearly defend where we fall on things. And mm. I think uh, being good Bereans, good students of the scripture, we can see and understand what the scripture teaches. And at least here in Acts chapter two, and we'll talk about the other passages that we, as we get to them, the tongues here are, are undoubtedly, undoubtedly and inarguably uh, foreign languages that, that uh, they're able to speak and everybody's able to hear them. Well, that's been a lot in this podcast, but so much. we're so thankful that you're still with us. If we are. assume that they are. Yes, exactly. Pastor, I can still see you. Um, <laughs> and feel you. Yeah. And uh, we're so glad for you guys being here and tuning in every day. We'll catch you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.